Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, we are beginning a brand new series focusing on prayer. Over the course of the next four weeks, we will be looking at one aspect of prayer each week in order to help you experience God more fully through a deeper and richer prayer life. Getting us started in week one of our series is our good friend and partner in ministry, the Reverend Dr. Ed Glover. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, this morning, it's clear that we're starting a new series. We're going to be talking about prayer. We're going to be looking at four characteristics of prayer, and they are praise, repent, asking, and yielding. Those are the four things that we're going to be looking at in the next four weeks. And the reason we're going to be looking at these four characteristics is because a Christian who doesn't have an effective prayer life cannot live an effective Christian life. Let me say that again. A Christian who doesn't have an effective prayer life cannot live an effective Christian life. So it's absolutely critical that we put these four characteristics into practice. So that's why I'm kicking off the series this morning, looking at the word praise, looking at the praise. So if praise is important to have an effective prayer life, we need to know what praise is, why we praise, and how we're to praise. We're going to look at why, how, oh, I'm sorry, what, why, and how we are to praise. You know, before I get into defining what praise is, let me say a few things about prayer, just in general, since we're kicking off this whole series this morning. I've been in ministry for over 32 years, and I've listened to all kinds of conversations with people of the faith. And there are people who believe that prayer, who are believers, that prayer isn't effective. And one of the reasons they come to that conclusion is because they have prayed, or they use prayer as a substitute for their responsibility. They use prayer as a substitute for their responsibility. What do I mean by that? Let's say that we're praying to lose weight. I mean, how many of us are praying to lose weight, right? We're all praying to lose weight. But if you eat everything in sight and you are not willing to exercise, guess what? That prayer is not going to work. If you're praying to get a job, but you're unwilling to go look for a job, guess what? That prayer is not going to work. If you're praying to to pass a history test, but you're unwilling to put the work in, you're unwilling to study for the test, that prayer is not going to work. Why? Because God will do and can do what you can't do. But he will not do what he's asking you to do. You see, prayer is not a monologue. It's a dialogue. It's having a conversation with the living God. And when he asks you to do something, you've got to be obedient. You've got to be responsible. It's not a one-way street. My father-in-law used to always say this. An effective prayer is praying like it's all up to God, but working like it's all up to you. Taking your responsibility in the prayer. Second reason why I find that believers believe that prayer isn't effective, because they basically, they pray when they have a crisis. They don't have a lifestyle of prayer. Oh, they might pray over their food, and that's about it. They might pray a little prayer, about two, three minutes, but they don't have a lifestyle of prayer. But when they're in a crisis, oh, they start praying. And when they pray in a crisis, I find that, boy, that doesn't work very well either. I'm not saying that prayer, that God doesn't answer prayers in crisis. But I'm just saying to you, you can't have an effective prayer life that that's all you do. 
See, what happens when people are in a crisis, if they haven't been praying, they throw up what I call, oh my word, I forgot what to call it. What do I call it? A Hail Mary. Is that my wife out there that said that? Boy, we're just, you know, we've been around each other a long time. We track that, right? A Hail Mary. But is it not true? You throw up a Hail Mary, and you do that when you have no way out. Throwing up a prayer to God. What happens in that is when you are in a crisis, you're going to focus, you're going to put your attention on who, not who God is, but upon your problem. And when you focus in on your problem, guess what? That problem dominates your prayer. And what you end up doing, you begin to tell God about your problem, and then you begin to tell God, what he needs to do to solve that problem. Begin to tell him what he needs to do, what needs to be done. And that prayer just isn't, isn't going to be effective. Why? Because that prayer is very self-centered, self-driven, and it's going to lead you to disappointment because you're praying that your will would be done, not God's. And that prayer just isn't effective. The way we are to approach God in prayer, we're to fix and focus our attention on who God is. Then we begin to ask him to interpret our situation from his advantage, his advantage point, from his viewpoint. And then begin to guide us and direct us that his will would be done, not ours. See, what happens a lot in prayer with us believers is that we begin to look at God as if he's a vending machine. We put in our prayers, we put in our coins, we pull out the lever and hopes that God's going to give us what we ask for. And that kind of prayer isn't very effective either. Matter of fact, it will be disappointing and it's also very exhausting. You keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. My wife tells a story about a time when she was a little girl and she wanted to be a prayer warrior. She's a prayer warrior now, but back then she was just learning to be one. And she got out all the the needs of the missionaries. She ran into her mother's bedroom. She knelt down by her bed and she listed off every one of those needs that those missionaries had. And as she's praying, she said that she was absolutely overwhelmed and exhausted because her prayer was a laundry list of all the things that she wanted God to do. And then she became absolutely overwhelmed by the needs And she became discouraged and exhausted. Maybe that's happened to you. Or maybe you have learned to start your prayer with praise so that you can avoid prayer burnout. You see, praise shifts our focus from our needs to who God is. And if we're going to be one who has an effective prayer life, we need to learn to do that. We start our prayer with praise. Let me give you an example why. I call it the gaze and glance principle. Can you say that with me? Gaze and glance principle. If you're gazing at your problem, and then you glance over at God, your God's going to seem very small in comparison to your problem, because that's where your focus is. And then your problem is going to dominate your prayer. However, if you reverse that, and you are gazing at God, you're focused on him, you're reminding yourself about who he is and what he's done, and then you glance at your problem, your problem seems very small in comparison to how mighty, how great, 
how all-knowing, how all-present, how all-powerful your God is. And then all of a sudden you stop praying with anxiety. You pray with boldness and confidence because you know who your God is. You begin no longer to pray, if you will, exhausted or overwhelmed. You pray with anticipation, expectation, and power because you begin to think about who your God is and you remember there is nothing too big for your God. There is nothing that can stand in, in the way of you. He can do all things through those he desires to. And I'll tell you what, when you begin to pray that way, next thing you know, you're looking at your problems and your problems pale in comparison to how great your God is and you begin to pray dynamically because you're focusing on our God it's called the gaze and glance principle and it's needed if you're going to be effective in your prayer life you know it is critical that we begin to praise God when we begin our prayer but what in the world is praise really what is it I've learned over the years that there are a lot of misconceptions about what praise is Like many biblical terms, the term praise is loosely understood, and that is often misunderstood. That's why I've chosen to teach from Psalm 150 this morning. Because here, it's going to help us to get a biblical understanding of what praise is. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at praise, but we're also going to look at the word praise itself. But in Psalm 150, historically, it is known as the doxology psalm because it expresses high praise to God. The psalmist in our psalm uses the word praise 13 times, 13 times in our psalm. So as we look at the psalm and we look at the word praise, I believe we're going to get a clear biblical understanding of what praise is. Let's begin. In verse 1 it says this. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Every time the psalmist uses the word praise, every time it is used in the Hebrew and the word is called halah. And halah is where we get our word hallelujah from. It literally means to boast, to, to rave, and to celebrate who God is and what he has done. Let's find it out how it all works. In verse 2 it says, praise him for his acts of power. In other words, rave, boast, celebrate what God has done. His acts of power. Verse 2 continues to say, praise him, rave, boast, celebrate who he is. His surpassing greatness. And whatever you see in the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament... People praising God, they're either praising God for who he is, or what he's done, or both. So that's something that we learned right off the bat, looking here at our psalm. Then it goes on in verse 3, and it tells us how they did that in the sanctuary. Look what it says. Praise him. In other words, rave, boast, and celebrate him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. And praise him with the timbre. In dancing, praise him with the strings and pipe, praise him with the clash of cymbals, praise him with the resounding cymbals. You notice every time here in the scriptures, they're never praising God in the sanctuary silently. Find it in the scriptures. Not when you're praising God. It's never silent. It's always intentionally active. Can you say that with me? Intentionally active active. Every time his people are praising God, they're intentional and they're active. Now, no definition of praise would be complete unless we look at it through the Hebrew. 
Because the Hebrew words of praise, matter of fact, there's seven of them. In our English version, there's only one word, praise. But in Hebrew, there are seven. So I gave you a list of those seven words. If you pull that out in your bulletin, you'll have that. Pull that out, you'll have seven words. Inside or in there, I gave you other verses where those words are being used. I'm hoping that you'll take that home. You'll use it in your quiet time so that you can learn to praise God in the beginning of your prayer. So as you're looking at that handout, let's go through them very quickly to get this definition of what praise is. First, we said it was halah. Halah means hallelujah. It also means it is there to help people to express, to rave, to boast, to celebrate who God is and what he's done. The second word is yada, which is the praise by extending or lifting the hands. When you see people in the sanctuary lifting their hands, that's what that means. Yada. They're praising God. Another word here, the third word is tada, which means to extend your hands in thanksgiving, anticipating of receiving something you don't yet possess. This way is to praise God for who he is and what he's done. This way is to praise God for what you do not yet possess. You're praying, you're expecting, you're asking him to fulfill a promise. God, give it to me. Make it happen. You praise God in that direction. Verse four, Shabbat which means to praise God with a loud voice, with a loud voice, a victory cry. Fifth word, Barak, which means to kneel down and bless God as an act of adoration. When we kneel in services and we're praising God, we're praying, we're asking God to forgive us, or whatever we're asking, that's praise. That's an act of praise. Zamar, which means to praise God through the playing of a musical instrument. And last but not least, the seventh word is tahila. It means to sing it or chant either in a structured form, such as a hymn or a worship song, or in a spontaneous, non-structured fashion, making up words in the melody, in the spirit, as you praise. I believe a lot of the hymns, a lot of the songs that we sing were born in that type of praise. So if you notice, as you look at these words and you look at our psalm, They're never worshiping, they're never worshiping passively. Praise is never done as if you are the audience. Praise is never done as a spectator. It's always participating. It's always intentional. It's always active. Now we've learned that we can do this privately and publicly, we know that. We've learned that we could do this with our head, our heart, and our hands. We could do this in a variety of different ways. But what are we saying this morning? Here is a simple definition. It's our working definition as we go forward. What is praise? Here it is. Simply, it is the intentional activity of proclaiming who God is and what he's done. Who he is and what he's done. You've got to be active and intentional. Hopefully, with that understood, then we have to answer the question, why? Why do we have to praise God? Number one, because he commanded it. He commands praise. In our psalm, the psalmist uses the word praise 13 times. Every time it's written, it's written in the imperative. That means praise is a command. And when God commands, no one is exempt. But I want you to know that God doesn't command us to praise him because he's needy. He's not asking us to praise him because he's some egotistical maniac. No, he doesn't need our praise. No, he knows who he is. 
We are the ones who forget who he is. You see, praise isn't for God. It isn't for his benefit. It's for our benefit. It's to help us to understand that as we praise who he is and what he's done for us, really what he's doing, he's trying to position you for a blessing. And why is that? Because of the principle of what? Gaze and glance. If you are praising God, you're fixed and focused on who he is and what he's done, and you glance at your problems, your problems become very small in comparison to how great your God is. So you position yourself so that you can, you begin to pray with boldness. You begin to pray in the spirit. You begin to pray expecting, anticipating. You begin to pray in faith rather than worry and frustration and doubt and so on. Do you understand this? That's why he commands us to praise. It's for our sake, not his. Second, we are to praise God because he desires it. Matter of fact, let me go back to command. You notice in the New Testament that when the Lord Jesus Christ teaches his disciples to pray, we pray it all the time. How's the prayer start out? It starts out like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Why did Jesus put it there? Why wouldn't it be in the middle? Why wouldn't it be at the bottom of the prayer? Because Jesus understood this great truth. You've got to gaze and glance. You don't, man. You're not going to have a prayer life. You're going to be overwhelmed. The world, the flesh, and the devil is going to take you to the cleaners. You've got to start out by fixing your mind, your heart, your being on who he is. And then you begin, then you begin to ask or confess or whatever. Second, we pray and why we pray and we praise in our prayer is because God deserves it. There is no one or nothing that is worthy of our praise like God. God is worthy of our praise, not just because of who he is, but because of what he's done. For what God has done for us, no one or nothing could have ever done. He came and he died on the cross and walked out of that grave so that we could be freed Free from an eternal suffering. Think about that for a moment. Because you know Jesus Christ, it is guaranteed that you're not going to have to suffer for all eternity. That he has made that possible. So there's no one or nothing more worthy of our praise than God. But also the third thing is that God delivers in praise. He delivers in praise. All of us know the story, most likely, of Jonah. And we know that Jonah was rebelling against God and he's swallowed up by the great fish. But how's he delivered? What happens? The Bible tells us that Jonah repented of his sin, yes, but he also stopped pouting and started praising God. And when he repented and began to praise God, God delivered him. Look what it says in Jonah chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. But I, with shouts of great praise, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now I have a lot of examples I can give you from the Old Testament, but we don't have enough time. Let me jump over to the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have Paul and Silas. And what's happening to them? They're in jail. And while they're in jail, they begin to pray and they begin to sing praises to God. And what does God do? He brings the house down. 
Look what it says over in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Paul and Silas were delivered, but everybody in the jail that night were delivered. Why? Because they were obedient to pray and to praise their God. You know, I can't explain it, explain it all, how it all works, but I can put the dots together and I can tell you this. That when you look in the scriptures, there is a correlation, there's a connection between when we as his people begin to praise him and he begins to deliver, he begins to rescue, he begins to save, he begins to heal people when the people of God gather and praise him. And one of the reasons that happens is because what David teaches us in Psalm 22 verse verse 3. 22 verse 3. In that psalm, in that verse, David says that God dwells, indwells, inhabits praise. So when God's people are praising God, he inhabits our praise. In other words, he shows up when we praise him. Now you might be thinking, what do you mean by that, Pastor Ed? He shows up. Well, let me tell you what David doesn't mean, and let me tell you what he does mean. What he doesn't, and what he meant. First, what he didn't mean. He, didn't, he was not referring to God's omnipresence, meaning that God is everywhere all the time. He wasn't referring to that. He also was not referring to when you and I, who have asked Jesus Christ to be our Savior and Lord, and we're born again of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God comes and indwells you, inhabits you. He's not referring to that either. Neither of these things are, are tied to praise. So what is David saying here? He's saying this, that when we begin to praise God, God manifests his presence. Manifest. In other words, he makes it experiential. He makes his his presence a reality when his people begin to praise him. Let me say this to you. My family, most of my family is here today. You can go to them. You probably won't see me afterwards, but you can see them. And they will tell you, That in our personal lives and in our ministry, when we begin to praise him, God has shown up. We've seen people rescued, delivered, healed, saved because we were faithful to praise our God. My son Joshua is here and he can confess, he can profess to you that there's been times he's been in the hospital in excruciating pain and the doctors couldn't get to us and my wife would begin to sing, we would begin to praise and all of a sudden a peace would come over him. All of a sudden the pain would leave until those doctors would show up. I could tell you story after story after story of things like that. Listen, God shows up. Just like he showed up with Paul and Silas, he shows up when his people begin to truly praise him. So what have we learned so far about why? We, 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 we praise him because he commanded it. We praise him because he deserves it. We praise him because he delivers in it. And we praise him because he shows up. But how do you praise God in prayer. We've learned that we can do that publicly. We can do that privately. We learned that we can praise God in a variety of different ways. We can praise him with our head, our heart, our hands. We learned that we can sing. We can play instruments. But how do you do that when you are praying? Well, I'm going to show you. We're going to go like in a seminar mindset at this moment. And I've asked that the text would bring out to you 
12, uh, no, 11 verses, verses 2 through 12 in Psalm 103. My wife Tammy and I have learned this, and it's very effective. You see, when you're trying to think about who God is and what he's done, if you're not really very versed in the scriptures, especially if you're a young believer, then you, you sit there and go, I, I really don't know who God is. Or you're struggling to come up with who he is and what he's done, or you say the same things over and over again. So what Tammy and I have learned is to pray the scriptures. Because when you pray the scriptures, you're not making God up in your own mind, in your image. You're not making God up in your experience. You're making God up in the way he tells you from his perspective of who he is from the word of God. In other words, you're going to pray truth. And what does the truth do? The truth what? Sets you free. So here's a way that you can pray. What you do is you get out the scriptures in Psalm 103. I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm not asking you to pray it with me, but you watch the screens as it unfolds. And I'm going to pray. And as I praise God, hopefully you're going to learn how to use scripture to pray so that you can praise. Starting with verse 2. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you, we thank you, and praise you for the benefits. For all that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your death and your resurrection. We thank you for all that we have on Christ Jesus. Verse 3. We praise you that you have forgiven us of your sins, of our sins. We thank you that you are the healer. You are the forgiver and you are the healer. Verse 4, we thank you that you are the redeemer, that you lifted us out of the pit. You crown us. We are part of the royal priesthood. We thank you and we praise you that your love is unconditional. You are compassionate towards us. Oh God, we thank you that you give us good gifts in verse 5. We give you, we praise you for that. And that you renew us every day. You renew our strength, oh Lord. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. We give you praise for that. We thank you in verse 6 and praise you that you are righteous and you are just. And you are the champion of the oppressed. In verse 7, we thank you and praise you that you have made your ways known to us. We know that Jesus died. We know that he was raised again. And we know the way to you. For you are the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you that you are a communicator to us. You speak to us. Oh Lord, we praise you this day. In verse 8, we praise you because you're compassionate. We praise you because you're a God of grace. We praise you because you are slow to be angry with us. We thank you and praise you that you abound in your love towards us. We praise you in verse 9 that you do not accuse us. That you are not angry with us forever. You hate our sin, but you love us. We thank you and praise you in verse 10 that you do not treat us as our sins deserve. We praise you and thank you that you do not repay us for the sins that we commit. We thank you in verse 11 that you are high. You are in the heavens. You're above the earth. And you know every detail of our lives. We thank you that your love is great towards us. And that love casts out all fear. And we thank you in verse 12 that you remember our sins no more. And we praise your God. We praise you for who you are. And when you praise God in that light. You get a really good perspective of who you are. Amen? Amen. And when you begin to praise him like that, your prayer life will no longer... No. You will no longer carry your prayer life. It will carry you. What do I mean by that? You see, if you don't praise God when you begin to pray, you're praying mostly in your own strength. And you just begin to pray a list of laundry needs. So you're carrying your prayer life. 
But when you switch it, you stop doing that and you begin to praise God, you look to God, your prayer life carries you. Because you're focusing in on the God who can deliver you, on a God who can rescue you, on a God who can save you, on a God who can heal you. We can't do a squat of the things around us. We need God on our behalf. We need him to go before us and hem us in behind. We need him to remind us of his promises so we can stand on them, so we won't cower, so we won't waver, so that the world, the flesh, and the devil won't take us to the cleaners. We've got to start out by praising our God. You do that. And you're life will become absolutely dynamic and so will your prayer life so will your prayer life but I'm going to tell you something I cannot sing a lick I can't play an instrument and there's something about singing and praising you know it when you begin to sing and praise there's something that goes deep in your soul I can't do that. My wife can sing. My kids can sing. My kids can play instruments. All that kind. I can't do that. So what do you do? If you can sing and play, you sing and play. But if you can't do that, be like, be like me. You find songs that are worship songs that are actually talking about who God is and what he's done for you. Not these testimony songs. The testimony songs are fine. But not when you're trying to praise who God is. You're not pulling out experiences or talking about your problems or talking about your situation. You're focusing in on who God is. And when you begin to sing, I play those songs, I listen to those songs, I pray the scriptures, and it is amazing how you can praise God. That's why it's so important that you find a place where you can have a quiet time. Now, I'm going to be honest and real with you. You say, Pastor Ed, do you have a place where you can sit down and praise God in your house? Sometimes. But you know, mostly what I do, I go to a workout center. Now you're going to say, you, what do you mean by that, Pastor Ed? This is new. This is good stuff right here, guys. I, I, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. Okay, hold on for a minute. This is good. Because you might not, you've you got kids and kids are running around and stuff's going on. You can't find a place, moms. You know what I do? I go into a workout center. I'm just not concerned about what everybody says about me or what they think. That's all. I go in, I put those headphones on. I'm not kidding you. I'm running on that, on that treadmill. Praise God, man. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. And everybody in that place comes up to me and says, what, what are you all about, man? And I start telling them. And, they, and so they call me Pastor Ed because they know I'm the pastor. But it's amazing. I never get out of that locker room without two or three people. Pastor Ed, can I talk to you for a minute? But you know what? While I'm in there, I'm praising God. I'm thanking God. I'm, I'm having a great time because that's the place I can do it. But see, when you become dynamic because your God is dynamic, I'm not, kid- I'm not kidding you. You can't wait to get to that place to pray with him. Because your life changes. So you're tired of praying the old stuff? Huh? You're tired of that? Oh, well, I-, I was. I've got to be honest with you, though. I-, I got more time to say this. My wife and I, during the last two months, it's been like barren. It's like Empty. And we've been praising. We, you know, nothing's really changed. I mean, maybe, maybe not working out as much as I was. But I'm praising. And, I'm praying you, and there's times, folks, that you, no matter what you're doing, there's that time that it becomes barren. And you know what you got to do? you got to get really aggressive at that point. And you got to put on, Tammy, say it, put on the garment of praise. Look right here. 
Some of you are barren. Some of you are going through some really tough times. You're not going to get through it. You've got to put on the garment of praise. In other words, you've got to be more intentional and more uh, active in your time of praise than you normally are. And I've been doing that. I've been doing that all this week. And I've got to tell you this truth. Last night, I was sitting all by myself. And it was like God just broke in the room with me. Just sitting there praising my God. Guys, I was jumping up and down. Man, I was going crazy. I was praising the Lord because when you are barren, you are empty. You can't seem to find the strength. And all of a sudden he breaks through in your life. Man, you don't care what anybody has to say. You don't care about what anybody thinks. You got to praise your God because he just delivered you. He just rescued you. He just brought healing to you. And you praise him. Amen. Let us come together next week and let's praise God. Now, next week, I am going to talk on repentance, and I mean it. I want you to pray all this week. You pray that you'll bring somebody with you. I'm going to help you understand that repentance gets a bad rap. Repentance is the greatest thing that could ever happen to you, your family members, and your life. And when you come to that meeting, you're going to find out that God is with us, and God is going to do a new thing in your life. So don't miss it. Don't let the world, the flesh, or the devil keep you from this place and bring all your loved ones here because we're going to talk about repentance and we're going to find out, man, it is the most freeing, deliberating thing that could ever happen to our lives. Amen? Father, I ask that you bless these folks. You keep these folks. You, you bless them as they bless you. I pray that this week they will praise you. They will get alone with you. They will sing to you. They will read the scriptures back to you. And that you will do a new thing in their heart, their mind, their lives, and their families. For Lord, we ask these things together. In Jesus' name, amen.